What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Many of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, which is my effort to find the most interesting people in the world and sit with them for hours while I ask questions in an effort to learn. So it would mean the world to me if you would subscribe to the show on your favorite audio platform, watch episodes on YouTube, and tell your friends and family about the podcast. My goal is to help millions learn from the world's most interesting people. So let's get into today's episode. Darius Dale is the founder and CEO of 42 Macro. In this conversation, we talk about global liquidity, what drives it both in the public and private sector, and how you can understand global liquidity and its future impact on asset prices. I always enjoy talking to Darius, and this conversation was no different. I learned a lot, and I hope you do as well. Here's my conversation with Darius Dale. This episode is brought to you by Start Engine. The biggest fortunes aren't made on Wall Street. They're made way before startups hit the stock market. Consider Mike Walsh. He was just a regular guy, but then he invested $5,000 into Uber. And that investment money, it grew to a staggering $24.8 million. Such opportunities were once behind closed doors, reserved for those with connections or vast fortunes. But not anymore. Start Engine is tearing down that glass ceiling and making startup investments accessible to you and me. With Howard Marks, who co-founded the gaming giant Activision at the helm, Start Engine and its 1.7 million users have fueled startups with over $1.2 billion invested on their platform. And they've done it without taking a cent from venture capital. In fact, they believe in their mission so much, they're almost completely funded through community investors to the tune of over $75 million in crowdsource funding to date. Sign up for a Start Engine account today at startengine.com and explore live investment opportunities where you can start investing with as little as $100. Again, run over to startengine.com and you can explore those live investment opportunities today. Before we get into this episode, I also want to tell you about a brand new product called Velo. Velo is faster, easier crypto data. Everyone in the industry is always looking for what's the price? What's going on on the exchanges? Where are assets flowing or not flowing? How is things like open interest and derivatives actually playing out in the market? Well, that's where Velo comes in. It's faster and easier crypto data. You can go to veloweightless.com today. Myself and a couple of friends, we invested in the business, we're advising the founder, and we think it's pretty cool. This one is something that keeps me informed on a daily basis, so you should check them out at veloweightless.com. That's V-E-L-O weightlist.com. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys, bang, bang. Darius, I thought a great place to start would be global liquidity. This thing seems to be driving all asset prices. What do you got for us? Yeah, absolutely. So what I want to do just real quickly this uh, week uh, was help investors kind of understand what's going on with global liquidity every month in what we call our macro scouting report. We put together about 30 or 40 slides, particularly as it relates to global liquidity and U.S. liquidity. So I just wanted to give some of the key highlights uh, from the most recent slide deck uh, for your for your audience to give them a sense of kind of what we do, the kind of work we do on the subject. So uh, as you mentioned, global liquidity is a key driver of assets. In the chart, I'm showing our global liquidity proxy, which is the global central bank balance sheet plus global money supply, plus global FX reserves minus gold, showing that on a year-over-year rate of change basis relative to global equity market cap and relative to Bitcoin. As you can see, it is a key driver of risk assets. So when we start to go look at the asset prices and asset markets and, and their response to this, what do you have? 
Yeah, so uh, this second chart here, we show the blue line is our global liquidity proxy. We show that relative to the S&P, Bitcoin, Ethereum, U.S. Treasuries, and U.S. corporate credit. And as you can see, those things are always co-integrated with global liquidity, i.e., you know, when liquidity is high, asset market prices tend to be high. When liquidity is low, uh, asset prices tend to be low. Those correlations can rise, you know, as you can see, you know, they're very correlated in the last kind of you know, three or four years, particularly with respect to the S&P. But if you look at sort of the last, you know, two to three years with respect to bond markets, uh, those things have become untethered to global liquidity as uh, policymakers around the world have really changed their policy rate settings uh, in, in the most recent quarters. And then when we look at what's driving the global liquidity, obviously we have dollars, we have FX uh, volatility. What, what else are we looking at? Yeah. So you and I talked about this all the time, right? Like you can't just call out liquidity and use it as an investment process because you actually need to forecast liquidity in order to um, actually make money with this kind of information. And so what we show, what we do at 42 Macro is really try to help un investors understand what the drivers of liquidity are. And then we use our quantitative tools and our, and our forecasting tools with respect to the economy and central banks to forecast what those drivers are likely to do in order to forecast what global liquidity is likely to do on you know, investable time horizons. And so what we show in this chart is the US dollar real effective exchange rate. As you can see, that's highly inversely correlated to global liquidity and so much that uh, currency volatility, which is the chart on the right, uh, is inversely correlated to global liquidity as well. So uh, if you can get the dollar right, you get currency volatility right, you're probably gonna get global liquidity right. And there's a variety of reasons for that, but you know, we'll keep it brief for now. And then interest rates also uh, seem to be driving global liquidity. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, global liquidity tends to spike after interest rates uh, spike, and uh, typically it, it tends to fall after interest rates fall on a real basis. And you know, you typically tends to follow uh, the uh, bond market volatility on an inverse basis as well. And so, you know, what we're trying to see, what we see here is this historical pattern of central banks chasing bond market volatility with more global liquidity, uh, in so much that we tend to see spikes and uh, declines in global liquidity after bond market volatility has subsided. So uh, these things of, um, you know, these things, these patterns, these relationships are very uh, coincident and consistent across time, uh, you know, going back to the dollar uh, and FX volatility and moving on to interest rate volatility as well. You know, there's a few reasons why these things tend to be inversely correlated to global liquidity. Uh, the number one reason for that, in my opinion, is that, you know, a lot of what we see from global liquidity comes from the private sector. So we're all constantly focused on central banks, but the reality is private sector actors tend to create liquidity as well. And those actors find it very difficult, particularly when you're in uh, international investment surplus economies like Europe and Japan, you know, these, 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 these economies tend to create a ton of liquidity globally from the private sector perspective. But when they have interest rate volatility, when they have currency volatility, it makes it very difficult for those private sector agents to sort of, you know, continuously increase the amount of dollars that's applying across global capital markets. So that's when you tend to see global liquidity weighing at the margin from, again, from, from private sector uh, actors. And then when we start looking at these downturns in growth, it seems like global liquidity is a second order effect or it kind of lags behind. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, so we just spent a few minutes talking about what drives private sector liquidity vis-a-vis uh, -vis currency volatility, interest rate volatility, you know, on an inverse basis. And then what we, we tends to drive public sector liquidity, i.e. central bank liquidity, uh, tends to be these sort of cyclical upturns and downturns in growth. So you tend to get more global liquidity when, you know, after a growth slowdown, obviously that tends to be, it's pretty obvious there's cause and effect there. Um, but we also have that um, in terms of how it lags cyclical upturns and in inflation. Uh, so the next chart where we show declines in global liquidity tend to lag cyclical upturns and in inflation. So uh, if you want, you know, more global liquidity, you tend to want a slowing economy from a public sector, from a private sector, a public sector standpoint, uh, pardon me. Uh, if you want more liquidity from central banks, you want a slowdown in growth and a slowdown in inflation. You want less liquidity from the central banks. You want a, you know, rise in um, uh, growth and a rise in inflation. 
You want more liquidity from private sector actors. You want a falling dollar, <clears throat> falling interest rate volatility, falling currency volatility. You want less liquidity from private sector actors. You need a rising dollar, rising interest rate volatility, rising currency volatility. When we look at the liquidity cycle, you are showing that it has bottomed in 2022. What does that mean for investors? Yeah, so uh, you know, I think you know, we've talked about this uh, at nauseum. Other guests have talked about this as well. But you know, we're in a liquidity cycle upturn. You know, it very much bottomed had a pretty secular low uh, back in October of 2022. But you know, one thing we've been consistent about calling out this year, um, particularly when we got to towards the year-to-date highs in Bitcoin back in April, uh, which was saying, hey, look, global liquidity is not this sort of linear recovery that you know we've historically seen in previous liquidity cycles. Typically, you see a bottom and it's just up, up and away for liquidity for you know several quarters or several years, and that's just not the case. Is what we're observing here uh, in 2023, which is that middle panel there, where we're showing our global liquidity proxy. That's the blue line in the top panel. We're showing on a max drawdown basis in the middle panel, and as you can see, you know, it's very clearly not a linear recovery process, much like what we've seen in previous uh, cycles. When we look at the impulse, what are we seeing here? Yeah, so that's um. So we track the same statistics: uh, global liquidity proxy, world equity market cap. Again, showing in the middle panel and the bottom panel there the three month uh, momentum in each of those time series. And as you can see, <clears throat> over the last four months, we've seen global liquidity actually wane over the last three four months or over the last four months. Uh, we we saw a uh, a minus kind of four trillion dollar ish uh, hit to global liquidity on a trailing three month impulse basis in June. That number rose to minus two point nine four trillion uh, in July. Uh, it's still not, you know, not quite what we want from the perspective of global liquidity, but it's definitely getting better at the margins. And that makes a lot of sense. We're moving past, you know, the kind of the worst of it as it relates to, you know, TGA rebuild and all that stuff here in the U.S. Now, when we start to go and look at this next chart, I don't understand this. You're going to have to explain this one to me. But we got global liquidity is driven by countercyclical and procyclical factors. What exactly is this showing us? Yeah, absolutely. So as I mentioned earlier, you know, it's again, when we talk about liquidity, a lot of, you know, the kind of the Twitter community is really focused on liquidity from central banks. But the reality is, if you want to get asset markets right, you need to understand liquidity from both private sector and public sector actors. So the central banks, a lot of folks care about because they have the ability to inflect the trend. I.e., if you're in a cyclical downturn and you're, in a, you know, cyclical downturn in growth and inflation, you know, central banks can step in and, and say, hey, look, we're going to do something with our policy that makes it easier for private sector actors to kind of take that and reflexively create liquidity on the other side of that. So that's why we really care about central banks a lot. But the reality is, you know, the dominant force in global liquidity is the private sector. And so you really do need to understand kind of how this, these private sector flows and how they're um, how they're impacting asset markets. Um, and so what we're seeing here on a th trolling three month momentum basis is that, you know, if you go back and you break open our global liquidity proxy in terms of the features in that um, central bank balance sheet is contracting globally. Uh, you have a, a slightly less small, a slightly smaller contraction uh, in, in in global uh, broad money supply, and then you're still having this very modest build on global FX reserves on a trailing three month impulse basis. So again, as I mentioned, the liquidity impulse has been negative for four months. It's getting slightly less negative at the margins, and that's partially due to improving uh, private sector liquidity conditions. Now, let's talk about these market conditions that continue to support rising private sector liquidity. This is obviously something that you've been really, really spending a lot of time on this year. What are you seeing here? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, what I show on this chart, the chart on the left shows the trailing 10-year correlation to each of those particular factors to the year-over-year -year rate of change of our global liquidity proxy. The chart on the right shows the the, the Z-scores of each of those leading indicators, the, the, the latest value of each of those leading and coincident indicators uh, on a Z-score basis. Uh, There's a cyclical three Z-score, uh, which is the trailing three years. 
There's a structural Z-score, which is the trailing 10 years. And what you see is that growth and inflation, which we can proxy using the OECD composite leading index, we can proxy using the year-over-year basis point change in unemployment rate, or we can proxy uh, um, sort of, you know, those two things will help us proxy growth. And obviously inflation, we use core uh, CPI on a year-over-year basis. What we see there is that based on what those current things are reading on the um, on the chart on the right, <clears throat> we should not expect a significant amount of public sector liquidity over the next six months based on the correlations between those um, particular indicators relative to the global liquidity proxy on a six monthly basis. But on a coincident basis, we see that, you know, things like the move index, the currency volatility, uh, the US dollar, we see Brent crude oil, real 10 year yield, all those things are actually down uh, on a year over year basis uh, on a, from a perspective of the cyclical Z scores. So that's telling you that this still is a decent enough environment for private sector agents to continue creating liquidity at the margins should they choose to, obviously animal spirits being the kind of dominant force in that in that process, uh, if and when central banks aren't there kind of leading the charge. Last question, macro narratives, obviously those things change uh, with the wind. What, uh, what are you seeing here and what is this chart showing us? Yeah, great question. So uh, every morning we refresh this table for our, for our clients. Um, you know, this is our uh, global liquidity monitor uh, where we're tracking its growth, inflation and policy across all these major economies that feed into our global liquidity proxy. And what we show there on the right are these systematic trade ideas, which are born out of, you know, certain setups with respect to growth, certain setups with respect to inflation or certain setups with respect to policy. And as you can see uh, from the equity side, <clears throat> China's got a, a bear signal. We got a new bear signal in the Eurozone this morning from Eurozone equity perspective, new bear signal in Switzerland from that perspective. And how you get bear signals uh, from the perspective of our systematic process uh, is when you have growth slowing on a trending basis with vis-a-vis -vis the leading indicators, and you also have negative economic surprises with a negative impulse in global liquidity. That's kind of like a bearish trifecta for outcomes. And obviously, if growth was accelerating, you had positive economic surprises, you had positive uh, impulse in global liquidity, that would be bullish uh, for stocks. Um, you know, we had uh, bullish signals for places like India and Brazil for quite some time, but those things have recently dissipated uh, to neutral signals in recent weeks. So that's something to call out to the extent, you know, anyone is on long India or Brazil. Um, on, the F on the fixed income side, our model spotted the um, the breakdown that we're seeing in Japanese uh, go the Japanese government bond market, and ultimately that pivoted uh, the yield curve control tweak uh, because it spotted a, a negative setup uh, with respect to Japanese bonds. So how you get a negative setup on the fixed income market is you have headline and core inflation accelerating with a negative impulse in, your, in that particular country's global liquidity proxy, or not global, that particular country's uh, liquidity proxy because we run that same analysis for each country and we amalgamate them to get to our global uh, liquidity proxy. And so obviously, if you want to be bullish on bonds, you want to see headline and core inflation decelerating with the liquidity proxy that's rising. And then lastly, with respect to FX, our model's been all over the bearish Chinese yuan story all year. Uh, we're seeing with respect to the Chinese yuan, you have policy rate that's trending lower. You have a fiscal balance that's percent trending lower as a percent of GDP. You have current account balance that's trending lower as a percent of GDP. Those things are all negative for the currency. And conversely, if those things were rising at, at the same time, you'd have a bullish outlook for the currency. So a lot of red, a lot of down arrows in this table right now. Uh, there was a lot of green arrows in this table, you know, going back a, a, a few months ago, but those things have obviously dissipated to more neutral signals. Where can we send people to find you or 42 Macro? Yeah, as I mentioned, so we refresh all this analysis on a, on a you know every day and every morning. Not every day, everything is worthy of calling out, but certainly this uh, this table here that we just spoke to, we refresh that every day, six days a week for forty two macro customers, and we do a big deep uh, deep dive, as I mentioned, on global liquidity every month uh, at the beginning of the month in our macro scouting report. So definitely come check us out. We're forty two macro.com. Uh, if you can't afford our research, uh, we we like to think that we price it very very affordably. But if it's a little bit over your head, then just just follow us on Twitter. Uh, we're forty two macro weather.
do a fantastic job. I literally learn something every single time we talk. So I appreciate you doing this periodically and we'll do it again. Of course, brother. I appreciate you, man. You be good.